Right now, you're listening to the Azeem Digital Asks podcast, the podcast where I, Azeem, talk to some of the top marketers in the industry, find out everything about them, how they got to where they are today, and more importantly, sharing some really useful marketing tips that will help everybody listening to this become better marketers. Stay tuned for another great episode. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Azeem Digital Asks podcast. I am incredibly excited to introduce my guest today. I genuinely can't believe this is happening and I hope that she indulges me for a minute because we were talking before the episode and mentioned that this started as a lockdown project. So what I'm about to say does not sound real, but my guest is the incredible Melanie Diesel. She is a keynote speaker award-winning branded content creator, the chief content officer of StoryFuel, and the author of the Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. Melanie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You know, I'm, as we were talking about before uh, we started here, it's so nice to get to talk to people, real people, and just have a conversation. I miss that from the before times. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It seems strange, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Everything that's going on. <laughs> But we'll get into that shortly. Before we find out a little bit more about you, we'll do a little bit of an icebreaker. So I wanted to ask you, Melanie, if you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would it be and why? This is such a good question. And I think I have to admit that my answer is probably different right now, given everything that's going on, than it would have been, say, a year ago. I think a year ago, I would have probably ended up a bit closer to where you are. I would have wanted to be maybe in London or uh, or Paris even. But I think right now, if I'm being totally honest, I think the best place to be would be uh, home, closer to my family in Connecticut here in the US. Because I think given everything that's going on, just being able to be a little bit closer, even if we can only chat, you know, from from outside the house and inside the house safely uh, would be would be a big game changer right now. Awesome. Yeah, it's a good job you didn't say London because it just rains loads. Our summer is like <laughs> one <true>. day long. <laughs> it's true. Um, literally, I think it's a common thing that we accept when we have like one day of sun. 99% <laughs> of people will say, look, just make the most of it because we'll probably get six days of rain. <laughs> anyway, this is not a weather podcast. This podcast is all about you. So I wanted to ask you. Melanie, when did you realize that this was going to be the career for you? I, I think if I'm being totally honest, it wasn't until well after I was already into it. So I, I studied journalism. I always thought I would be a journalist, you know, working for a newspaper or a magazine or something. And, you know, I ended up in marketing and content marketing quite by accident. It was more so that I couldn't find the type of journalism job that I was looking for. And a very savvy recruiter thought, you know, you could probably do this content strategy role. It's very similar. You know, you're going to create content. You're going to come up with content ideas. Um, you know, it'll, it'll be nice for you for a little while. And, you know, for me, I was looking to move to New York. So the fact that this mystery marketing job was in New York was a nice pro for me. And I think I, at first, I really viewed it as an interim solution, you know, something I would do until I found the job that I wanted. And it wasn't until maybe a year and a half in that I realized I actually really enjoy this because not only am I getting to tell stories in the way that I love, but I'm actually getting to help other people love telling stories. And that's somehow more rewarding. You know, I had never 
thought that I would function like a teacher or a trainer, um, but I found it so, so rewarding to be able to work with brands and clients and our salespeople and get them to a point where they were thinking creatively. They were excited about video series and blogs. You know, it was, uh, it was really, really fun for me. And I realized that I could bring a lot of value if I continued to do that. So yeah, it was definitely not when I started, it was definitely not an aspiration of mine, but after being in it for a while, I think I realized this is not an intern solution. This is where I'm meant to be. <laughs> awesome. So thinking back to everything that you've just said and how you didn't think this was going to be for you, if you could go back to when you first began in the industry with all the knowledge that you have now and start again, what advice do you think that you'd give to yourself? I think one of the things that I would tell myself is, is maybe more of a, a confidence thing, more so than a specific fact or a tactic is, I really felt crippling imposter syndrome, if I'm being totally honest. I I felt like, who am I to be here? I can't believe I'm going into a meeting with this brand, you know, to try to work on a million dollar deal. Like I just felt way out of my depth. And I think I would tell myself that the, the value I'm bringing is different. And so it may not feel equal to some of the folks who have been, you know, selling these types of programs or creating these kinds of campaigns for 10, 15 years but I'm bringing a very different skill. And so it's valuable in a different way uh, because I think if I had sort of owned that and felt a little bit more confident in the work I was doing and not felt like an outsider, I probably could have done even more or had an even greater impact. You know, I'm really grateful for all the projects I've gotten to work on and the clients I got to work with. Um, but I do think back to some of those early projects and think, you know, were I working on that same project now, I would have stood a little more firmly or I would have asserted myself more strongly or, you know, really insisted on certain things that I knew were right. Uh, and I just didn't have the confidence to do it then. Yeah, that that's a really interesting answer. Thank you for, for sharing that. I just wanted to sidestep a minute and just talk about imposter syndrome for a second, because it's something that is definitely, in my experience, far more prevalent in people who are just starting out in the industry. So do you think that advice would apply to to anybody starting out in the industry to be more confident? What tips would you would you say to someone who's very new in the industry and maybe is a little bit unsure of where where they want to go? What advice yeah. would you give to someone? I mean, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I do think that a lot of people who are even further along in their careers still have those feelings sometimes. Yeah. You know, yeah. I I I'll be totally honest. I'm this this week as we're recording this, I am giving the keynote address at Content Marketing World, which blows my freaking mind. I cannot <laughs> believe that I get to have that privilege. Like what an honor that is for me. And, you know, to see that I'm up alongside or, you know, taking the same role that people I consider mentors and, you know, is is really crazy. So, I think some of that feeling never goes away. So, one of the things I try to tell folks, especially students or folks who are just starting out, is having imposter syndrome is a signal that you care very deeply about what you're doing. It's actually a good thing in some respects, right? It, it's your your body, your emotions. You know, you're telling yourself, I care about this and I want to perform well. And I'm a bit nervous that I may not be able to do that. So channel that into excitement. Think of that imposter syndrome as excitement and aspiration. I really want to do the best I can here. I want to perform well here and channel that into learning or studying or mentorship or whatever it is that's going to make you feel more confident. Uh, but I really try to, to just flip the script, you know, 
and think of it more as a signal that you you care deeply rather than that you're unqualified. Uh, because I think just that subtle mind shift of saying, wow, I'm feeling that I, I clearly care very deeply about this project or this experience or my team here. Uh, I think sometimes that just that little relabeling of that feeling can can make a big difference in how you address it. Brilliant. Could not agree more. That's a fantastic answer. Thank you very much. Looking at your background and your progression into where you began and where you are today, do you think there are some key things that you'd be able to share with the listeners that you've picked up that they might find value from? Sure. Yeah, there's I mean, there's little lessons that we learn all along the way, a few that are kind of generalized and and tactical. So they might apply to as many listeners as possible. Uh, One thing that I've definitely learned is to be open to opportunities you weren't expecting. So, you know, I always, as I shared earlier, I never planned to be in this career. It has given me the most wonderful life and I'm incredibly grateful. Um, But I'm only here because I was open to an opportunity that I wasn't looking for, that I didn't expect. And that quite frankly, I wasn't sure if it was a good fit, but it was, I was willing to say yes and experiment. So that has served me very well, you know, first in that instance, but in many, many times since. So always being open to those new and surprising opportunities that maybe you weren't expecting or planning for. Uh, The other thing that I feel very, very strongly about is that knowing your weaknesses or knowing what you don't know is actually a, a superpower really. And, you know, I think we have this presumption sometimes, especially when we're starting out, that not knowing things is a weakness, that, you know, admitting you don't know what an acronym means, or, you know, how to use a certain program, uh, you can feel like the jig is up, that's that imposter syndrome coming back up. But actually, when you when you know that when you're aware of that, hey, I'm not as familiar with this, or I've never done this before being aware of it allows you to to confront it to to learn right you cannot learn something new unless you admit that you don't know it yet and so being open to to that to saying hey i've not done this before do you think you could walk me through it or i'm actually not familiar with this is there a course you recommend i could take to learn more about it or a blog that that covers this topic that i could learn from people love sharing information they love helping others with what they already know how to do so Anytime you're confronted with that, you know, a system, a project, a, a topic that you've, you've never had to explore before, be open about the fact that you're looking to learn more about it. And I think you'll find sort of accidental mentorship in that way that, you know, people are willing to offer their expertise to help you fill in those gaps. Yeah, could not agree more. And I'm pretty sure I might have heard some police in the background there. They're probably going to arrest <laughs> you because, because the answer was so good. <laughs> They're always, there's always something, right? They always seem to drive by when you're recording something. It's because that answer was brilliant. And I mean, it's answers <laughs> like that. <laughs> it's answers like that, which is why I'm sure many people would cite you, Melanie, as an inspiration for them. But let's talk about you for a moment. Uh, who inspires you? Who has been a big inspiration for you? You know, there are a lot of people in the industry that, you know, at first I was sort of admiring from afar. You know, I, I was sort of reading their books and and being inspired by them. And now I'm privileged to call them colleagues and friends. And among those would be uh, Jay Baer is someone who I, I really love his approach to content. I love the way he operates his team. Uh, I really love just his approach to marketing and to storytelling and, and customer engagement. And so, you know, if you haven't engaged with, with any of his content, uh, you know, hug your haters, uh, talk triggers, some really great books that he's written. Um, so he's definitely someone I've learned a lot from, both from afar and and on an interpersonal level. And another is Anne Handley. Um, Anne Handley 
wrote uh, content rules and everybody writes. And one of the things I admire about Anne, and I've told her this as well, is her voice is so true, no matter what platform you're, you're experiencing it. So talking to Anne in person or on the phone or, you know, seeing her write an Instagram caption or in her newsletter, Total Anarchy, seeing her on stage, like she is so very true to herself and her voice. And that's something as a, as a creator and as a speaker and a writer that I definitely want to emulate. I want to feel like my voice is the same, no matter where you hear me or meet me. And so those are, those are some of the folks that I've definitely sort of watched and, and learned from and, you know, taken, taken bits and pieces that I can try to apply to the way that I present myself and, and the way that I share information. Awesome. I will definitely catch up with you post recording and get some links to put in the show notes so that the listeners can check those people out. I wanted to switch track a little bit now and talk about Story Fuel for a moment. What is the biggest challenge that you've got with that right now and how are you overcoming it? You know, I think like so many uh, entrepreneurs and individuals during this very, you know, air quotes, eye roll, unprecedented times, um, <laughs> I think I'm figuring out what my business looks like, what StoryField looks like in this new world. I definitely don't have all the answers to that yet, um, but we've been trying all kinds of new things. You know, one of the big challenges for sure has been adapting to this environment. So for me personally, as a speaker, um, I love being in front of a crowd. I'm actually an introvert, so normally I'm, I'm quiet and reserved, but I get so much energy from being in front of a crowd, from seeing faces and hearing people gasp or nod or laugh. You know, that gives me so much energy. And so it's definitely a different experience to be presenting to a computer screen in an empty room, uh, trying to keep the energy up and, and have the same amount of passion when you're speaking to nobody really is, uh, is definitely a personal challenge. It's something that I've, I've enjoyed adapting to and figuring out ways to do it. Um, but that was definitely a challenge when this all first began. Um, the other thing that uh, is definitely a challenge is that, you know, as you said, conferences and, and speaking is primarily where I've spent a lot of my time. And so the business model, as many of us have probably experienced firsthand, is very different for online events. You think about what you would normally pay to attend an in-person conference. And, you know, we're talking $500, $1,000, When you think about what you pay for a webinar, it's mostly free. Or, you know, maybe 1995, you know, it's not not high ticket experience yeah. in many cases. And so that means that the, the business model and compensation for speakers is also very different. You know, I probably have to do five to 10 times as many webinars uh, for the same amount of revenue. So that's definitely been mm -hmm. an adaptation for us as well as figuring out what are some of the other ways we can bring the same learnings to people, whether that's, you know, exploring membership sites or courses or, you know, all kinds of different ways, because the, the idea is we want to keep true to our mission to help others learn how to tell better stories. And that can be done in a lot of different ways. So definitely it's a, a creative challenge, but a fun one to explore how we might continue to do that when big stages are, are probably months, if not a year more away. Yeah. Absolutely. Things don't seem like they're going to improve in the short term. So long term strategies like you've just mentioned there are, are key to success. You sound like you've got it all planned out. So hopefully things work out for you. Oh, I don't. I don't. I want to be really <laughs> clear because I, I think it's really important, you know, to acknowledge that we don't have it figured out. I think yeah. that is one of when we talk about imposter syndrome, I think that's one of the things that causes it is that oftentimes people who 
you look up to or you see as a mentor, they do seem to have it all figured out. And we have no idea what we're doing. Like we're the same, <laughs> you know, we're, we're experimenting, we're trying things, but I, I definitely don't have it all figured out. You know, that's why I, I'm trying to be honest about the fact that, uh, you know, we're learning, we're trying things, some things are working, some things aren't. Um, but, you know, I think I have faith in our resilience that, you know, we are creative, as I said before, open to opportunities that we may not have thought of and uh, yeah. just trying to, to see what works. So if you're doing the same thing, then we are on the absolute same level. Awesome. Look at that. Very open and honest answer. Love that. Thanks very much for sharing. Yeah. I wanted to ask you then in terms of continuing to learn and continuing to gain knowledge how do you do that how do you stay on top or in line with the industry so i i mean this is sort of a, a two-factor question i guess so in terms of keeping up with what's going on in the industry um i try to just take part in a lot of industry conversations and obviously that looks a little different in the current environment um for depending on where you are and, and what it is that you do that might mean participating in twitter chats it might mean watching LinkedIn live videos and, and commenting on them of, of people in your industry. It might mean reading blogs or listening to podcasts. There's, there's certainly a lot of ways you can follow along with the people who are leading the charge in your industry. Um, but one of the things that I think is super important is to actually have inputs from outside your industry. And by that, I mean, you know, we can create a bit of an echo chamber. If all of us are reading the same blogs and listening to the same podcasts and using the same case studies, Sometimes you don't actually see new information. You're not learning much. You're just sort of hearing different takes on the same exact information. So I think it's really valuable to get out. I call it getting outside the algorithm. Um, you know, the things that are being sent to you are like the things you've already consumed. And so sometimes it's really valuable to, you know, listen to a podcast from a totally different industry about the plumbing or architecture or who knows what else, you know, to watch mm. a documentary about a band in a genre of music you never listened to, to, I mean, read a book that, you know, your nephew is reading that's not for your age group at all. You know, just get out there and, and consume things that are different than what you normally consume because so many of the good ideas that we find come from outside of our industry. And I'll just give you like a really tangible example of that. So um, yeah. I, I launched a book in the beginning of this pandemic, unfortunate timing, but um, obviously that, posed a challenge for me. You know, I wasn't able to do the book signings and the book tours and all the things you normally expect. Um, I was trying to think of really creative ways to market the book. And as you know, I've, as I said, experimented, tried many things, some worked, some didn't. <laughs> but I was recently, you know, a few months ago, having a conversation with a friend of mine who's a photographer and, you know, talking about how COVID had affected her business. And she shared that she was experimenting with stock photography, that she was taking stock photos to see if that, you know, since she couldn't do in-person shoots, would that prove to be a new line of revenue? And that sparked an idea for me. Why don't I have stock photos taken that feature my book? Stock photos that are, you know, the book is not the hero, but it happens to be on the table, on the shelf, in the background. And those stock photos could be things like brainstorming, studying, you know, writing on a whiteboard, all the activities that my ideal audience would be engaging in and probably looking for stock photos for their blog post, right? So, you know, I wouldn't have gotten that idea were I not talking to a photographer. She, she doesn't work in marketing at all. It was a totally different field. But yeah. what I wound up doing was creating a series of stock photos that did feature my book. I uploaded them to Unsplash as free stock photos, and they've gotten more than 300,000 impressions. Uh, so wow. I can't tie that necessarily to book sales. I don't know how many people 
used that stock photo or saw that stock photo and then went and bought the book. Um, but, you know, to our point earlier, it's about experimenting and seeing what works. And that's something I never would have thought to try had I not had an input from outside my industry. That's a brilliant practical application of everything that you've just said. Um absolutely making notes as we're speaking so if I'm silent here I'm like yes do this do this right now do this tonight <laughs> thanks very much for sharing that I wanted to well you've kind of alluded to it there about switching things up but I do this with all of my guests and I kind of switch tack a little bit and talk about failure specifically yeah so in the last 12 months what would you say has been the biggest failure for you and why do you think that it happened I think, you know, maybe this question you've found answers are, are often tied to COVID. Um, one of the things that I, I wish I hadn't dropped the ball on so much is I'm not creating as much content as I want to be for myself. Um, yeah. I do I do a lot of content advising and, and consulting and whatnot for my clients. But, you know, if you looked at my Instagram, uh, you'd probably see that I update, I don't know, maybe every other week. And at one point I was doing that almost daily. If you look at my LinkedIn or my, you know, my business Twitter account, my business Facebook page, they certainly haven't been as active, um, you know. And I, and I have seen engagement and things drop as a result of that. I think the choice for me, and I'm sure many of your listeners are facing the same choices, is something's got to give in this time, right? We can't do it all and still, you know, add in the responsibility of being a, a homeschool teacher or a daycare provider and still perform at the level we did with work. So it was something I knew was happening, uh, but I kind of had to accept that that was going to be the reality for a little while. And until I have a, an easy solution for how to, you know, make more hours in a day or, or something else, um, yeah. having to let that go. Now, obviously that presents a slight problem because here I am, the content person, and my own content channels are lacking. But, you know, to my point earlier, I think it's important to be transparent about that stuff because so many people are small business owners or solopreneurs or they're like a one-person marketing team with very little support. And you could start to feel like something's wrong with you if you can't keep up with all that stuff. And I think it's normal and natural to to struggle to keep up with all of that, particularly with everything that's going on. So yeah. um, I'm... I'm it was definitely something that I would consider a failure. I'm definitely not uh, doing as I say to do, um, but I'm trying to give myself a little grace here and acknowledge that uh, you know we're all doing the best we can right now. And so it is yeah. what it is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's one of my favorite sayings, by the way, it is what it is. <laughs> yep. Um, a lot of the things that you've mentioned there kind of touch on essentially preventing yourself from burning out digitally. Um, and as you were speaking, I was thinking about my own experience, certainly when we first went into lockdown here in the UK, we quickly pivoted to remote homeworking um, and I was just getting up, turning on the computer, having a very long day, sometimes like 7am to 6-7pm, yeah. switching off thinking, wow, I've had a really great productive day. And it was only when I just checked out from every screen and lay down in bed that evening thinking, well, actually, no, I haven't because I've had my lunch at my desk. I've just continually worked for so many different hours. I've got a pounding headache. So yeah. I wanted to ask you, if you had any advice for anybody to prevent this sort of digital burnout, what would you recommend other than reading your brilliant book? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's a lot of different things that can work for different people. I think, you know, 
in the same vein as it's important for us to be open and honest about what's working and what's not, I feel like it's important for me to say, I don't have this part figured out either. I certainly get burnt out too. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, different things work for different people. So one thing that I know is for myself, I need a break from what I'm working on sometimes that sometimes the longer I stare at something, I'm not actually getting closer to a solution. I need to sort of put that on the back burner and work on something else. So I try to acknowledge when I'm hitting that point and switch gears. So I have sort of in, in my own system, there are tasks that I know are brain intensive. They're you know creative tasks or writing something, something that requires really deep thinking and analysis. And then I have a list of other tasks that are you know more uh, I don't want to say mindless work, but, you know, much less uh, mentally intensive things like filling out a form or, you know, submitting paperwork or uploading a file, you know, things that are, are more busy work than creative work. And yeah. so when I'm working on creative work and I get frustrated or stuck, what I'll do is switch to some of those those easier tasks mentally uh, because two things, one, they're easier to get done. And that creates for me sort of a momentum of, look, I just got three things done. Even if it was three very simple little things, uh, it kind of puts me back in that productive mindset. And by taking a break, I'm often able to jump back into that more intensive work and, and feel more successful. Um, I know for some people, meditation or, or exercise is a good way to do it. I mean, I think the old, the, the classic advice of like, have a snack, drink some water, take a nap. Uh, you know, it, it works for babies and toddlers, but uh, it works for, for us big people too. Uh, sometimes, yeah. as you said, you know, if you spend all day eating at your desk and barely standing up, like you just need to feed your human animal and take care of your, your physical being before you can produce your best work. So if you're finding that you're feeling that often, uh, maybe check back into those basic, uh, those basic needs. Are you sleeping enough? Are you eating enough? Are you drinking enough? You know, are you moving your body around? Even if it's just like doing jumping jacks or having a dance party in your office, you know, sometimes just hitting on those basic needs is is enough of a recharge. <laughs> Absolutely. When you said that, I've just got visions of the listeners hitting pause right now and doing ten jumping jacks and then. Hitting the <laughs> I love it. I hope I hope they do. <laughs> yeah. In fact, if you're listening right now, hit pause. Do ten. We call it star jumps in the UK. Do ten star jumps yeah. or jumping jacks and then hit play again. Awesome. Let's talk a little bit about the book then. So for anybody yeah. who's been like living under a rock, can you tell <laughs> us a little bit more about the book? Yeah. So the, the book is called The Content Fuel Framework, How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas. And the whole idea with this book is, like I said, I, I know I'm very lucky to live the life that I lived, you know, pre-COVID anyway, to travel the world and get to do you know, conference speeches and, and corporate workshops for these big companies. But I also recognized that the information I was sharing in those environments would be useful to a lot of people who would maybe never get the chance to be in that room. You know, they can't afford to get away from their business to go to a conference or, you know, they don't have enough support and buy-in to be able to attend these workshops. Their company is too small to, you know, hire an outside trainer. So I wanted to sort of democratize that information. I wanted to make it accessible to people who were willing to put in the work and, and teach themselves, you know? So the, the book was really born out of that desire, making sure that what I was teaching could reach as many people as possible. So uh, the system that's in the book is, is really what I use and what I teach my clients and, and teach in workshops is how to really activate your creativity when you need it and come up with content ideas, because that's a... At least, you know, with the folks I'm working with, that's a really common uh, barrier, objection, you know, speed bump 
is this, I don't, I can't come up with anything. I feel stuck. I'm not creative. Yeah. You know, we've done this same blog every week for two years and I've got nothing fresh to bring to the table. Um, so I wanted to create the system that, you know, what I use sort of mentally to come up with content ideas and, and make it something that was repeatable and approachable and simple. And so that's really what the content fuel framework book is about is it shares uh, different perspectives and lenses through which you can tell stories, you know, tell a story through the lens of people or the lens of history or the lens of data. Um, and then it shares different formats, different ways you could bring that story to life. And, you know, the promise with the book is because we cover 10 different focuses and 10 different formats that that creates for you 100 possible combinations of those different things or a hundred different ways you could tell the very same story you know, in a, in a totally different and fresh way. And so that's really what I hope is that for people who pick up the book, you know, I care a lot less about whether you're going to, you know, follow me or become a fan. And I care much, much more about the fact that you can walk away from that book feeling more confident in your creative abilities and feeling like, man, I have so many content ideas. For me, that's, that's the best feedback when I hear from readers and they're like, you know, I read your book and I, I couldn't fall asleep because my mind was buzzing with ideas or, you know, I, I came up with our whole year's blog strategy after I read your book. Like that to me is the best compliment is knowing that people feel empowered to, to come up with ideas for their content strategy after reading the book. That, that was really sort of my, my deeper mission, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not going to give anything away from what's inside the book because every listener needs to get this book immediately. But I've been reading this and sometimes stop for a second and think, God, I just... Firstly, well, two things. Firstly, I was thinking, I need her brain immediately. <laughs> uh, and secondly, it feels criminal that I've just got this document in front of me now, which is literally filling my head full of ideas. So I mentioned earlier before we started recording, there is a wonderful tool on your website. So if there's ever any objection from anybody who's like, you know what, I've got <laughs> too many marketing books I've got a million and one marketing books. How is this different? Why should I get this? What would you say to somebody who would say something like that? Yeah, so we've got uh, this fun tool on the website that lets you download a letter, a very official looking letter uh, <laughs> that you can you can share with, whether it's your roommate who's upset that you don't have any more space on your bookshelf or your partner who is saying, you know, you have too many marketing books, call it a day. Um, or you want to get like, you know, approval from your boss to reimburse for it or something. It's just a very official looking letter that points out all the things you're going to learn in this book and how practical it will be uh, and the advantages for everyone around you, you know, for you being able to take on this creative mindset. And, you know, truthfully, that came from uh, a tweet early on when the book had just launched. Someone tweeted at me and said, I want to buy your book, um, but I don't have any more room on my bookshelf. And I don't think my partner would let me get another bookshelf. So <laughs> I, I, I said, okay, hold on. Let, tell me your partner's name. I'll write a very official letter granting you permission. Um, and, you know, she thought that was a lot of fun. So I sort of generalized it and just added it to the website. <laughs> awesome. Brilliant. Yeah. So if anybody has got any issues in deciding whether to get this book, use that resource because it's fantastic awesome couple more things that i wanted to touch on before we swap roles and you get to be the interviewer for a second <laughs> you mentioned earlier on about speaking and you do a lot of speaking and if you're listening and you've never heard melanie speak literally just type in her name on youtube click any of the videos and you'll be like oh my god and immediately get a notepad <laughs> and start making huge notes there's a lot of people who would listen to this who are either just starting out 
in their sort of marketing speaking career or are just thinking about beginning to start speaking certainly for me I am definitely not an expert I mean I've been speaking for about what, 12 to 18 months now and I always look back and overly analyze and criticize <laughs> myself but is there any sort of advice you could give to somebody who let's say is thinking about starting to speak or wanting to get into speaking what sort of advice would you give to them yeah. So, I mean, there's a few things. First of all, I don't envy any of you that are having to start your speaking career right now. It's certainly a very tumultuous yeah. time, even for, you know, well-established speakers. We're even, even all of us are trying to figure out what this, what this environment <laughs> looks like. Right. Um, the one thing I would say right now is if you are looking to start your career or grow it right now, you really need to focus on your virtual presenting skills. I think that's going to be a big differentiator for you especially over the next you know, 12 to 18 months and, and potentially carrying on beyond that as people have become more accustomed to virtual presentations. So that means thinking about it differently. You know, When you present virtually, you're not just using the same deck and you happen to be speaking to a screen. You really wanna adapt your content because what works on an 80 foot wide screen is not the same as what works on a 15 inch wide screen. You, know, you, yeah. you wanna change your visuals, you wanna change your approach you want to truly take advantage of what the virtual platform offers you, whether that's polls or, you know, the chat function or raising hands or breakout rooms, whatever it is, really focus on how would I start this talk from scratch? How would I take these parts and reassemble something that really belongs in a virtual environment? And then what can you do to work on your own skills to make sure you're compelling in a virtual environment? Because nobody wants to watch like a, a low energy talking head video for an hour. That's going to be rough, right? We've all been there. So definitely focus on that. And that means adapting your marketing materials as well. So if you have any sort of speaker reel or a demo reel of some kind, you need to have virtual footage in there. You can't just have all these big stages because that tells them nothing about how well you can present virtually. So get mm. those recordings of Zoom, ask your the people you present for to share the recordings with you for that purpose and splice some of that into your, your demo reel or create a, a separate virtual demo reel if, if that's easier for you. The other thing just yeah. in terms of craft in general is, you know, speaking is one of those things that people tend to think they're really good at it just because they talk out loud every day. Um, and it is a very specific craft. You know, it's the same way that you may sing in the shower or to your steering wheel, but that doesn't mean you deserve a recording contract, right? So <laughs> it, it's really one of those things you, you need to work on your craft. And that means different things for different people. You might need to work on your blocking and staging, how you move your body with intention when you speak, whether you're on a stage or on screen. You might need to work on your breath and your pacing and your pronunciation. You might need to work on your energy. You know, if you are doing virtual presentations and you just talk very flat like this, people are probably not going to be very engaged. So you want to be able to change your voice, change your tone, you know, vary things up and down, use a pause with purpose. So you want to work on that craft because that, that comes with time. So invest in yourself, whether that's a coach or a free online course or mentorship or just watching a million TED Talks of the most viewed TED Talks and seeing what you can learn from them. Really spend time thinking about that. And then the last thing is, however much you think you need to rehearse, you need to rehearse three to five times more than that. Um, the, the best talks that I feel most comfortable giving, I've given a hundred plus times to no one, just alone, you know, practicing. 
And the, the best analogy is if you were going to see a concert, you would certainly hope that the musicians weren't playing that song for the very first time in front of an audience. And mm -hmm. you owe your audience the same level of respect. You should not be stepping up on stage and giving a talk for the very first time in front of a paying audience or for a paying client. That's just not the level of professionalism and respect I think that you want to give them. So, you know, make sure that you're putting in that time and effort to rehearse in all the ways that you can. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. The more you talk, the more I'm still thinking, I need her brain immediately. <laughs> <laughs> One more question then, and I think that you are incredibly qualified to answer this question, given your background and where you are now. A lot of the industry in the UK does a lot of digital PR and outreach. So they're sending emails to journalists about a unique angle or a unique pitch from their specific clients. And journalists, some of whom I'm connected to, will quite openly share on Twitter saying, look, I have 800, 900, thousands of unread <laughs> emails. You have to make sure that what you are saying to me stands out from the crowd. So if you could give any advice to anybody doing this sort of outreach to help them to get their content to stand out, other than read the book, of course, <laughs> what, would that, what would that be? I think I could talk about this all day. So I, I'll try to boil it down to, I'll try to boil it down to a few key things. And, and I've been on both the sending end and the receiving end of this interaction. So here's some of the, the quick things that I know. If your email is not to me personally, specifically, with my name and a reference to recent content that is, you know, similar to what you're doing, then I know that you sent it to 500 other people and it's not my problem. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you should be writing individual outreach. Hey, I know that you frequently write about this topic. I particularly liked link here to a specific article. It seemed like your audience really engaged with that given how many comments there were. I think you might be interested in writing about this topic as well. That's to me, you did your research and I know that you are writing to me, right? So that, you know, it's, it's a bit like getting junk mail, right? You know, it's not for you specifically, so you're just gonna ignore it, throw it in the trash. So write, write specifically to an audience. It's, it's much better for you to do targeted outreach to 15 people than to blind email 500. You will get a better response. So definitely customize it, make it specific. The next thing you want to do is really make sure that you are thinking about it from the perspective of the recipient. So often we write these things that say, hey, we've got a new flavor. We've got a new size. We're launching a new product. And they don't care. Why should that reporter care about what you're doing? Why should their audience care about what you're doing? If you're yeah. only answering why it's important to you, then again, this isn't for me. This has nothing to do with me. I hope you feel better for having written a press release. I'm now going to delete it, right? So really focus <laughs> on what do they have to gain? Why are they the right person to write about it? Why does their audience specifically need to know about this? Or what's at stake for them? Really focus on why their audience should care about it. Because if you can't answer that question, they can't either, and they're not going to be able to write about it. The next thing you want to do is make it as easy as possible for them to say yes. And by that, I mean, give as much as you can give. That might mean mm. contact information for various people who could serve as sources. It might mean quotes from your executives. It might mean giving them several options for images so that they can add images to the story. It might mean that you've got B-roll footage from videos that you can share with them to edit their own video together. I mean, make it as easy as possible. Because if I get two emails and one says, hey, we've got a new product launching, let's hop on a 30 minute call so I can tell you more about it. Or I get another one that says, we've got a new product launching. Here's some quotes from our executive. Here's a 
you know, a, a product breakdown of all the features. Here's some images you could use. Well, which one is going to be much easier? It's the second one. So, you know, if you're personalizing your outreach, you know, really focusing on, on personalizing the outreach, you're really focusing on what's good for their audience, not just for you as a brand. And you are making it as easy as possible to say yes by providing what they need. That's going to be your best chance of getting the response you're hoping for. Yeah, brilliant. I can already imagine several minds ticking, thinking, yes, do this, do this, do this. <laughs> Fantastic answer. Thank you very much. So this part of the podcast is where you get to swap roles for a minute. And if we did swap roles and you got to ask yourself a question that I haven't asked you, what would that be? What would you like to talk about? The floor is yours. <laughs> um, you know, I think I might ask about how I've been juggling doing the work that I'm doing with having a young child. So I don't know how many people might know this, but I have a, a daughter who just turned one year old two months ago. So it's definitely been a challenge. And I know that I'm, I'm sure many of your listeners are experiencing the same thing being yeah. home right now. And, you know, I think I alluded to this before, you know, all of a sudden I'm an early childhood educator and a daycare provider and, you know, a, a, a chef for children and all these other things that <laughs> I'm also, you know, I'm also trying to run my business and serve my clients and prepare for speeches and do all that rehearsing we talked about. Um, like I said, I don't know that I have an answer for this, but it's certainly something that I think we need to talk more openly about. I'm really glad that we are having more conversations about this because I think that this juggling of parenthood responsibilities, home responsibilities, and work responsibilities is something that has historically been, you know, carried that burden mostly by women. And so I think that everyone being home right now, seeing what that means, you know, dads having to hold a baby while doing a conference call, it really opens all of our eyes to the fact that, you know, working moms and new moms, especially, and, and new dads as well, really need more support in this early time, especially when we're all working from home. So this is a topic that I'm newly very passionate about. And I think it's important that we acknowledge those struggles because again, gosh, early parenthood, if you've been through it, it's like a crazy, you know, melting of your mind already. It's full of feelings of inadequacy and, and not knowing what you're doing and doubt and all kinds of things. And then you add into it the fact that you see, you know, uh, influencers and colleagues who seem to have it all figured out and they're working no problem. Uh, you know, and that can really make you feel like something's wrong with you. And I think it's really important that we acknowledge, you know, if you're dealing with any sort of care responsibilities, whether that's a sick relative or a child or, you know, a, a, a partner who needs more support given their particular uh, situation right now, that, that is a job. And I think it's important that we acknowledge that care work as something that's important, you know, just as important as, uh, you know, as, as working in, in the field or in the mines or, or on the internet, whatever it is we do. Right. So I think, yeah. I think that's, that's really important. And that's something that I've been thinking an awful lot about lately. Awesome. Yeah. Again, I think a lot of that will, will resonate with the listeners. And again, following you on social media, I'm very glad that a friend of mine, um, you may or may not remember, but you reached out on Twitter and said, you know, I'd like to sort of broaden my network and follow more sort of BIPOC marketers and a friend yeah. of mine tagged me in a tweet and then we started following each other. I'm very glad yeah. it happened because your feed is incredible. I have to look at your <laughs> stuff and think, honestly, I think I've said it about four times in this podcast, like I need her brain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, a lot of that will resonate and I think everything that you've just said there 
is definitely going to tick a few boxes. And the point I was going to make was I sometimes look at this stuff that you put out and I think, when does she sleep? Because she's doing all of this <laughs> stuff. She's literally just like Superwoman. So yeah. Oh God, no, (laughs) not at all, not at all. I'm, I'm composing. I mean, like, you know, if I, if you see a great tweet, it means I probably wrote it while I was like, I don't know, waiting for the shower water to warm up or while I was waiting for water to boil, or (laughs) I'm just trying to find those, those hidden moments that uh, I can, I can get something done. Cause, and like I said, you know, a lot of my social channels have, have had to go dark. I'm, I'm doing my best. I think we all are, but uh, we can't do it all. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Right then, last couple of questions and then I will let you go and continue your day because I think we could be here all day if, if <laughs> I could. <laughs> yeah. If you need to get deep into like a sort of high productivity zone and you need to put some music on, if you do that, what is your like go-to artist, go-to song, go-to playlist? Who really helps you get into that zone? Yeah, so I have a really hard time doing work when there's lyrics to music because I find myself listening to the words or trying to decode the meaning or, you know, all those different things or singing along. So for me, if I need to get really good work done, I actually don't listen to music. I listen to coffee shop sounds, which I know sounds so ridiculous, but uh, there's a website called Coffeeativity. It's like coffee and productivity smushed together, Coffeeativity. And, um, it's just a streaming site and you can play different coffee shop, like just the ambient sounds, you know, chatter you can't quite understand and a plate clinking together and the espresso steamer running, you know, just those kind of ambient sounds that you hear when you're working in a coffee shop. And I'm so grateful to have found this because coffee shops are where I tend to get my best work done. I just love that creative environment and the hustle and bustle. And obviously my access to those environments has been, uh, you know, cut down a bit so coffeeativity yeah. <laughs> and being able to to add those sounds wherever i am is uh probably my my best secret to getting good work done even if i'm at home <laughs> awesome yeah so it might surprise you to learn that some of my previous guests certainly those who are marketers in the uk have got such a range of music that helps them get into the zone some of them say look i listen to like heavy rock music <laughs> and i'm thinking like what like yeah if i'm deep into a spreadsheet doing this sort of analysis i need <laughs> heavy rock others like uh, listen to piano music or just like general pop so it's interesting how diverse marketers music tastes are eventually i will create a playlist and i will stick something like that on there anybody who listens to this randomly on shuffle will be like god what what a weird bunch of people, some marketers. <laughs> what a good um, playlist that would be. It would be uh, unique, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Melanie, there's not a lot left to say other than uh, thanks for being an absolutely brilliant guest. Um, again, like I said at the start of the episode, I genuinely cannot believe I'm talking to someone like yourself. <laughs> so I just wanted to thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join me today. If people wanted to find out more about you, about your company, about the book. How would they do that? How can they get in touch with you? So you can learn about all of those things on our website, which is storyfuel.co. So it's story, F-U-E-L dot C-O. Uh, you'll see there's a page there for consulting. If you want some one-on-one help or your organization needs help, there's a page there for speaking. If you need some sort of training or you want to have me at an event, and there's also a page for the book. So you can go ahead and learn about the book as well as the complimentary workbook. So there's a PDF you can download that has 70 plus pages of 
activities and prompts to help make sure you're not just reading it, but actually turning it into action. That's the key part. So you can learn all of that on our website at storyfuel.co. And if you're trying to find me on social media, um, I'm Melanie Diesel. It's D-E-Z-I-E-L. And if you search for that name, you will find me. Um, I, there's there's one other Melanie Diesel out there, but unfortunately, she will she will never uh, come up first in those searches. So you'll <laughs> you'll definitely find me if you look for me there. Um, and all those links are on the website on the contact page as well. Awesome. The only other thing I will add is that if you are not following Melanie on social media, you must do that immediately because her feed <laughs> is just full of complete wisdom. That is it from me. Thank you very much for being an absolutely fantastic guest. And as I do with all of my episodes, I will let you have the last word on this episode, Melanie. Well, thank you all for listening. I hope that you feel confident that you are creative. You can go out there and tell those stories. I know that you have stories to tell and that the world is waiting for them. Thank you for letting me share mine. So that was another great episode in the bag. I'm really enjoying hearing from some brilliant people in this industry. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow me on Spotify. Please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you are using. Tell a friend to tell a friend and hopefully see you for the next episode.